Today I'll be reading from 1 John 4, 19, 2 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, verses 20, 21, and Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen as I read the passage aloud for us. We love because he first loved us. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Uh, just a little warning, I've been crying at prayer. <laughs> and uh, tears are such a beautiful thing. So I... Um, have an honor and pleasure of talking about the vision is love. And specifically today, this topic is something that I have been carrying for quite a long time that I feel is so important and wonderful and tender about God's love. And um, I'm gonna try my best to get through it. And, um, but if I start crying, just know it's normal. And um, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I hope, uh, maybe we'll all be crying at the end of this. I don't know, but it's gonna be beautiful regardless. So um, it's really hard to describe, like I said, something that's been happening in my life with God and my discipleship to Jesus for about a decade. And I'm gonna do my best to, to share with you that invitation and to sum it up in like 30 minutes. And so, um, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but a season where you've just experienced such wonder and beauty from God, it's just so hard to talk about, it's so hard to articulate, but I believe that he's gonna give us visions today. So this morning, I'm gonna describe the vision of God's love as a people being consecrated to love. So let's pray. God, uh, you know my thoughts. <laughs> you know my words and all the jumbledness, and God, um, I just offer all I have um, for you to, to translate what it is that you've been doing in my life for your glory, God. Thank you for um, us gathered here today, and I'm just so grateful for this community. So in your name we pray, amen. So if we love something, we end up making commitments to it. See, at the core of love, if we love something, it compels us and we desire to make commitments to it. But there is also something in our human nature that drives us to make commitments to the thing, but we also desire commitments to be made to us in return, meaning we yearn for exclusivity, right? An example I can think of in my life is cycling. If you guys didn't know, I love cycling. I made some really big commitments to it about 10 years ago when I decided to cycle across the United States. 
I, yes, guys, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Love is hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I trained, right? I did more than train. I bought things. I spent money training for this, right? I gave up time and I, um, because I love cycling, but I dedicated really all my nights and weekends and every spare moment I could to cycling, to training. What? Yes, exactly. To preparation for this thing that I really did love. Right, we see this desire for exclusivity with a number of things in our life, right? Like cycling, maybe you're into coding or computers or coffee or bread or any other number of things that we love, right? We collect things or we love traveling. But all of the things that we love, we end up making commitments to it, right? We can see this even in our friendships and our family and our relationships. Obviously, we witness this at weddings and in marriages. We see people making commitments and even vows. And also with the things that we love, we also set boundaries, like loving boundaries for us that we make commitments to in our life. We choose things that we love before all the other things that seem to be grabbing our attention. But we also see this in our relationship with God. As Christians, when we choose to commit ourselves, we choose to follow him, right? We build our life around this kind of love. There is preparation and commitments and sacrifices and boundaries. And we commit ourselves to loving God and loving one another. See, love requires commitment. It requires anchoring yourself to it. And love requires a specific boundaries for a greater purpose. And this morning, I wanna talk about consecration as a preparation and invitation to a process of discovering what it means to love God, to love one another with our whole lives. This is a significant act of Jesus followers that can bring about such power and transformation if we say yes to the invitation. So consecration, let's define it. It means, in the dictionary, to make or declare sacred, to set apart for the service of God, or two, to devote to a purpose in a very sincere manner, a life set apart. See, consecration is a kind of preparation that Jesus calls his followers into to embody his love. And there is something even deeper that we are invited to if we desire to look beyond actual just sacrifices. See, consecration is different than just sacrifices. The word consecrate means to develop and dedicate to a sacred purpose. It's an act and something we are invited to. It is a declaration to a purpose of sacredness. And sacrifices is what or the things we offer in surrender or we yield or give up. They are connected to each other, but they are different. Consecration is about the act of giving yourself to fully develop and dedicate for a sacred purpose. We do this because we're motivated by God's love. We saw in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. And consecration helps us mark moments of our stories with significance and devotion to God. I don't want us to miss it this morning. It has the power to help unlock a kind of creativity and power through God's love to inspire a way of living. It has the power to transform things with God. 
It's a beautiful act and an invitation to love that prepares our life, our whole life, to be marked by God's love, not just for our sake, it does happen for us as well, but for our families, our friends, our community, our church, even our city. So, where are we today in this? Does consecration still matter, right? I feel like my journey with God, ones that making me so emotional, begins with kind of an ache that happens in our season with God. And sometimes consecration starts with that, just a little bit of curiosity of an ache or something that we notice. I mean, have you ever had the kind of season of life where you seem stuck and you can't really get yourself free from that? Or have you ever wanted a breakthrough in really any kind of our aspect of life with God, but we seem to have tried everything and the things that used to work don't work anymore? Or maybe you no longer hear God's voice like you used to, and you're kind of left wondering what happened, like where is God? Or maybe you're in a deep grief for yourself, or even on behalf of someone that you love, or even someone in our community, and you just have so much pain that you're not sure what to do. Or maybe in your season, you are lukewarm and complacent in your faith, and it's taken this form of apathy, but you're not sure really how to articulate that either. And maybe you've either compromised your way of living and you're not sure what happened, but you somehow have drifted. These aches are all part of story. They're part of my story with God before I actually experienced a beautiful new life and season with God and consecration. See, there was a time in my late 20s, I had been following the Lord really wholeheartedly. I think when I first became a Christian, I was one of those really young, annoying um, women with a lot of zeal that people were like, can you just stop talking about this? <laughs> um, but I didn't care, you know? But, you know, something had happened. It wasn't necessarily bad, but over a period of about five years, things that I found joy in and the zeal with God did not seem to satisfy the same way. I entered into the season where I really just walked away from attending church, I kept isolating myself, I hardly read my Bible, and it's not that really anything drastic happened in one or two events, it just was a slow drift. It fizzled. Now, in hindsight, I realized that my personal life was a wreck too, right? I had been a horrible friend, a horrible dating life that had dishonored a lot of people's time and hearts. It was a mess. And I was like slowly drifting away from God. I was working 60 plus hours. I had not taken a vacation in five years. And I really never saw my family. My relationships with them were just chaos. But at this five year mark, I had this moment where I was like, God, I believe in you. I don't know what happened to this five years. It's a blur but somehow I drifted. And I remember asking him, is this all you have for me in life? Is this like all I'm gonna have to show for it? And a job, but like a bank of vacation, but like horrible relationships? There's got to be something more. And I distinctly remember writing down the words in my journal that I felt God was asking me, very quietly and very softly. He asked, are you willing to say no for the greater yes? This was my invitation to a season of consecration with God. And since then, I've had many seasons like this. It hasn't been completely perfect, but it's been an adventure. 
And it's one that was marked by this particular small invitation to, to really remember my love of God. It wasn't flashy or required much of me except to be curious. Every day I could just say, I have just enough curiosity for this moment. God, what are you doing? And God kept showing me and revealing things to me and for the last 10 years I have spent seasons growing more in peace, more in assurance, more in grace, and he answered all those questions about those aches that I had mentioned before, but not necessarily in the way that I thought, but he answered them, and he invited me into this new kind of love and season of life. I'll have more on that later. But this spiritual renewal came with the desire to not only sacrifice things, but to actually offer a season of preparation to be used by God. It came with my yes to the question God posed, as are you willing to say no for a greater yes? Now the word consecration, it's not one that we often hear, right? We didn't just ask ourselves, how are you doing in the 90 second greeting? Oh, you know, just being consecrated to God. <laughs> you know, like me, I had no idea what that meant, that concept was, right? So we defined it, right, as um, about the act of giving yourself to fully develop and dedicate for a sacred purpose. But I really like how author and Pastor Jordan Sang puts it, consecration refers to the way we dedicate ourselves to the things of God through specific sacrificial acts. Another way of looking at consecration can sometimes be described as the following equation. Cleansing plus sacrifice plus dedication. We're just gonna unpack this equation just a little bit. But what do I mean by cleansing? In our modern world, it is very normal to bathe and shower every day because we have a lot of access to water. In the time of the Old Testament, water was a very rare resource. People did not bathe and shower like we do today. It was very infrequent, right? Instead, they used oils and perfumes and ointments. So this act of cleansing was a ceremonial cleansing with water by taking a very specific rare thing and bringing it before the Lord as an act of symbolism to show the seriousness of the act of the devotion. It also required sacrifice to show honor and devotion to God because it was costly. And this idea of consecration has this type of dedication, that this has a positive pursuit to the thing that we are replacing it with, we're pursuing God. However, consecration is not a religious self-righteousness. This is the application and response to Christ's righteousness, meaning consecration is a response to his love and for love. See, consecration is not about fixing ourselves up before God so that God will accept us. Jesus already died for us, so we don't need to do anything about gaining our righteousness before God. But consecration is about how we actually appropriate and respond and implement what is available to us now for him for love. Consecration is a dedication to discipleship and it's an action. It's more than just trying to get yourself right before God. Now all this process of consecration is an invitation for a purpose to love and honor God. It's to show our devotion as an act and posture where we pursue holiness and a wholehearted surrender to the things of God. So 
Maybe this is the first time we've heard consecration, but this word and act is all over the Bible. I'm gonna take a moment to give us kind of a high-level, quick history of where consecration comes from. Um, I'm gonna go through the Old Testament, the life of Jesus, and the New Testament, and even today. So I promise it's gonna make sense. Um, I think it's important to know that if we're getting invited to something, just like a great party or an RSVP, we actually need to know what we're agreeing to and what we're being invited into. It's really important. We want our RSVP of yes to be really powerful and really committed. So, the Old Testament. This act of consecration can be found all throughout the Bible. Some examples include the firstborn, often in stories, were to be consecrated to the Lord. Priests were consecrated. Sometimes even the spoils of war were consecrated to God. We've heard that cattle and livestock and blood was consecrated to God. Um, And sometimes there are whole communities, actually, that were consecrated to God. I think of an example of Joshua, In his time of decline, God would call his people to stop what they were doing. It was very significant for them to stop, to consecrate themselves, and to cleanse themselves, to dedicate themselves to the Lord. More specifically, I want us to take a look at number six. It gives instruction to the people of God about consecration, what it means, what it entails, really what the motive was. And this passage gives us instructions about this vow that you could take that you could partner with God in the redemptive work in not only your own life, but the life of your community. It's called the Nazarite vow. And Nazarite means dedicated one or consecrated one set apart. This vow was taken by these individuals, both men and women, who took this vow voluntarily and they entered into a season of extraordinary devotion to the Lord. Some scholars describe this kind of vow as a kind of supernatural vow that dedicated themselves as this name, a Nazarite, set apart. And this was a special way of participating with God and his redemptive work. But he really moved in unusual and mysterious and significant and miraculous ways for the individual and for the community. So we're gonna pick up in numbers one, or number six, one through 21. I'm not going to deep dive in this, but I want to reference it so that you guys can go back and study it. But I wanna just extract some of the important parts about the vow. So in verse one, uh, in number six, we see here that these were men and women, everyday people. There's really nothing special about them. But they were invited and opted in to say yes to a season of consecration. In verse two, they took special vows of dedication to the Lord. It's saying that in the vow to actually partner with God, you will also have to choose to enter into a kind of transformation and change. This would mean saying yes to all the things and requirements that the Lord provides, which means that your lifestyle had to change. This also meant becoming a Nazarite actually had social implications in your consecration to God. In verse three, we see that they gave up wine and fermented drink. This had serious implications in daily life around all the things that you ate and drink in this time. Wine was often a drink that was in ceremonies and a part of everyday life. So if you were to enter into this vow, you were to give up alcohol. This was a really big deal. So this had huge relational implications on your life. Verse five, we see they grew their hair out. This is a physical representation to your community that you are entering into a season of consecration. 
This also had significance because at the end of your vow, you would shave your head and offer it as a burnt offering to the Lord. Verse six, they were not allowed to go near death or dead bodies. And this was difficult because death in ancient Israel was a reality in every part of life that you often could not get away from. This had huge communal implications. If you took the Nazarite vow and someone got sick, say someone in your family, in your household, you would actually have to leave your home and separate yourself to remain purified to the Lord. So we see that consecration had lifestyle commitments, social implications, relational and communal implications. And further, in the next part of the passage, we see in verse 13, this is the end of the vow season, right? They offered a final sacrifice before the Lord. This is the law of the Nazarite. When the period of their dedication is over, they were brought to the entrance of the temple, and eventually they had to present an offering to the Lord. And it lists out very specific orders from verse 14, the order in which you had to do this in order to offer the temple, or offer the offering to God. This was, uh, scholars say, a very expensive thing to do, so they often believe that not one single person could do this by themselves. It actually had to be a communal act to give of devotion and support. It was as if this community was also behind this act and vow. These are just normal everyday people who said, I want to enter into a season of special devotion to God. Remember we said consecration is for the purpose of cleansing plus sacrifice plus dedication, for learning and discovering and responding to God's love. This is one example in the Old Testament, but we're gonna move through that timeline of history, right? And I'm gonna talk about who Jesus was. This invitation to consecration actually takes a wild turn to his life, right? The life of Jesus and what he calls his followers to. See, consecration doesn't lose its power or significance, but rather the act and invitation for consecration was transformed because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, his life and death became humanity's greatest example of consecration. That cleansing and sacrifice and devotion is exemplified by Christ's love, his death, and his resurrection. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus gave his life as a consecration of love to us, to humanity, and to the world. This is so incredible if you think about it and ponder it, right? And because of Jesus' perfect act of consecration, we as Christians today do not need to follow the strict laws and regulations and specifics of that Nazarite vow in order to gain an invitation to partner with God for sacred purposes. See, we don't need to burn our hair or shave off our head or slaughter animals in a specific order, but the power of the invitation with God is still there. It's cleansing and sacrifice and dedication. And we take our cues from Jesus's life because we actually opt in to being prepared for a sacred purpose with God. So then we see after his death and resurrection in the New Testament, I always wondered, is consecration still a thing there? But it is, and so I'm gonna share a couple of examples of his life. Um, But we see in the New Testament, um, those who also consecrated their lives to God, they're still participating. It's still part of their culture. But we see this actually in the story of John the Baptist. 
We see this also with men and women in the early church in Acts. And we also see this in Paul's ministry to the Corinthians and the Romans. But there's a direct invitation for consecration here. We see in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, and we have exploited no one. Our cleansing and sacrifice and dedication also begins in our hearts, but it's our response to holiness and the pursuit of love with God. We see in Romans 12, one through two, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, our consecration is about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice for worship, for love, and for us to be transformed like Jesus. Consecration is also vital for our spiritual growth and our discipleship to Jesus. It's an invitation as an act of surrendering our will to God and inviting God to transform our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. This invitation of consecration allows us to surrender and submit every area of our life to God. It empowers us to continue to walk in obedience and faithfulness fueled by love and allows us into deeper relationships with God. Right, often consecration, when we opt in and say yes to the invitation, it can help reveal our greater purposes and give us vision for our lives. My season of consecration did just that. Gave me vision for a whole new way of living and working and being in community. Also though, one of the largest obstacles of participating and saying yes to the invitation of consecration is actually to remember the focus of it, right? Like I said, it's not about self-righteousness, but it's really hard to remember consecration, what it is, right? We have to be in relationship with God. But it is important for us to remember, and I'm gonna talk about three things. We're consecrated to a person, for a purpose, and for power. The first one is consecrated to a person, meaning it's relational at its core, right? Consecration is not about trying to be more holy to some biblical standard or moral idea or philosophical tradition. Consecration is relational in the Bible because it's with Jesus and God, right? First Peter 2, nine through 10 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This invitation to consecration is for God's people who are chosen and beloved to discover a deeper kind of love for God. It's relational and personal. It's really cool here that I think that God refers to us as his special possession. It's a term of endearment. It's a like a term of relational love, but we're chosen and that we're also seen as a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Um, Also, this invitation to consecration is actually um, for God's also whole picture, larger picture of his love for humanity. 
Um, it's also seen as like a marriage, right? The Bible opens with a marriage and ends with a marriage in Revelation. I'm just gonna refer to that. But in this scripture, he refers that this, this whole process of consecration is a wedding. It's a wedding of the lamb to come and that his bride has made herself ready, which is the church and which is us, right? I know I've told you some of uh, you in my sermon that I've been 16 times a bridesmaid. And I have witnessed a lot of seasons of engagements and marriages through my beautiful friends. And let me tell you, it's a lot to prepare to become one <laughs> in life. I have witnessed a lot of ways that people are like, either start to work out or they gotta get their finances in order. Or I've also witnessed a lot of fights because it's hard to make your life unified, right? It's a season of preparation. And that's kind of how consecration is too. It can be a tool to prepare us because we actually aren't just invited to the wedding with God, we actually are the ones being married to God. We are his bride, right? We are in the wedding, right? So it's a season of preparation. It's also when we say yes to consecrate ourselves, we're preparing ourselves for a wedding to Jesus, and we take weddings and vows, but we're saying one giant yes to devotion to God, and a thousand no's to things that don't matter anymore because we no longer relate to them like we did before. This is a great act of love. So we also have to remember, uh, for me, it's really hard to stay focused on the why, but I think John Wesley puts this really beautifully when he says, the best means of resisting the devil is to destroy whatever of the world remains in us in order to raise for God upon its ruins a building all of love. See, consecration is personal and relational and it's one that is fueled by love. Because of our love of God, like he builds on the ruins of our shame and our despair and our sin, a building all of love with him. So the second thing we remember is that we're consecrated to a purpose. We see in 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21, um, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call, the Lord out, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we read this passage, and I ask, what kinds of articles does God use? Right, or what do we think that God would use? Do we think that he would use ones for just a common purpose? I know for me in a season of life, I thought that I was just pretty common, like maybe God wasn't gonna use me. But maybe I also wanted to combat the lie that, do I think God only uses those who are popular or highly educated or maybe those who are the loudest one in the room that he's gonna use them? And the question further is, who does God use to do his will in the world? We see reference in verse 21, he uses us for his special purposes because of his great love. He uses those who have consecrated themselves for his purpose. A cool thing about our invitation to consecration is that it also can be as diverse as the term of vessels in the Bible, meaning God is gonna use us for all different purposes and uses based on our gifting, right? 
One of the most beautiful, powerful stories I got to experience and witness was our dear friend, our theologian in residence, uh, Dr. David Bennett. He, uh, last year, had a consecration ceremony. And I, like I said, I told you I went to a lot of weddings. I've been in a lot of weddings. (laughs) The consecration ceremony was probably the most beautiful wedding I've ever been to. He took vows of celibacy in a church much like a wedding ceremony, there was an exchange of rings, there was a party, there was all kinds of things, but it was to honor God with his life. It was incredible. Next time he's here, you'll have to ask him about it, but he wasn't doing it for really any self-righteousness point or anything, but it was because, and he would say, despite his weaknesses and his brokenness, that he actually wanted to say yes to God and a thousand no's to lots of other things of this world but as a sign of his devotion to God. Also, there's a warning here too, is that I just wanna remind you that in consecration and even this process as we're thinking through it, if we're logical, there is, we have to be warned that there isn't all logic in here, right? God is not gonna love you any less or any more if you choose not to enter into a season of consecration. This is actually meant to just be an act of love with him for deeper relationship right? Pastor John Tyson put it this way about hunger and consecration. He says, others may and you may not. I don't know about you, but this evokes even a deeper hunger for me to be like, wait, but I want to be invited to this. So I want to do that, right? But it's okay if you don't, right? But there is something here that we'd miss if we don't opt into the deeper invitation, And consecration allows us to enter into preparing ourselves to stop asking the questions that sound like, what am I allowed to do? But rather changes the question, what is God's best for me to do? Right, we hunger and seek after that. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reminds us everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. The invitation to consecration leads us to ask some deeper questions like that last question, what is God's best for me? What does he want me to do? What is the best thing, right? San Francisco is this kind of city that's centered on this concept of love, right? In our sermon series, we're going through all the distinguishing types of love, but then there's Christ's love. And consecration actually leads us to discover deeper things that we might be calling love when they actually are just artificial. This season and this invitation allows us to discover deeper about the purpose for our lives. Right, consecration consecration can lead us to ask different questions. It's like, I wonder what would happen if we consecrate ourselves to God for prayers that sound a lot more like, Lord, give me a life that you can use. Or, yes, Lord, I'm gonna go wherever you want me to. Now, the fruit of my story in those 10 plus years ago, the fruit you guys witnessed today I would have never said yes to be a pastor in my state of mind back then. (laughs) I would never have been entered into a season of consecration to be used where I give everything about me, my ethnic identity, my singleness, to pastor for God. (laughs) Like It's kind of crazy if you think about it, but I think of those many steps and those deeper invitations over the years that the fruit is here and it's still showing itself um, as intimacy with God, right? The third one I wanna remind us about is that we are consecrated for power. This invitation to consecration is for us to discover the power of God's love. It's not just for ourselves, but for the sake of our community and for the world and even our city. 
it builds awareness for us to join in and participate in what God is doing through his power for renewal in our city and in our own lives. And I want us to remember that in this, we give our lives to remember that our lives are not unlimited, right? We are not unlimited resources and our lives do not have infinite amounts of time. So there is this sense of urgency that should not fill us with fear, but should actually compel us towards love and to actually respond to God that it actually invites us into more. It's for us to make conscious choices and exchanges and for us to be open to learn and receive and grow more in power of God in our lives, right? The kind of power that I'm talking about is the kind of power that God gifts us and empowers us and his followers to love others in a way that he would love and serve others. It can be a power to heal or to transform or to perform miracles and all the other ways that God's power can be made known to us. But remember, it's not a power that's earned, right? It's the invitation to consecration that helps us yield this power faithfully and for God's love and purposes. One thing I also wanna note is that often with power, we have the journey to discover what it means to have deeper character. Right, of all the important things about consecration, I've heard of this story, it's kind of like God wants to give people power that can handle it, and that means your character, right? So uh, I've heard it seen as like, you're not gonna give a three-year-old um, a power tool, right? You're not gonna give them a drill or a jackhammer or whatever, it would be chaos, right? Um, but it's like that sometimes, we want that power of God. We desire and yearn for that. But in our hands, in this time, we wouldn't be able to handle it. We would not yet have the character to bear that, right? When we consecrate ourselves, we lay ourselves before the Lord, and you become the kind of person that can hold that kind of power with discernment with God. He wants our character. He wants great character. So like the Nazarites, our invitation to become people that live into this kind of prophetic reminder and witness that God is worthy of more than we typically think or that we can offer. The invitation to consecration is one that is costly and powerful. See, consecration wants us to stay hungry for God's presence. It's about building an awareness of what's happening around us, both in us and around us as well what we're being formed by, both consciously and unconsciously. I think it's amazing that we, I wanted to talk about this in a season of Lent where we have a lot of opportunities to become more aware of what's happening, right? But also a reminder that nothing about this invitation means that if we do more for God, that he's gonna love us more. There's nothing that we possibly can do on earth to earn God's love and favor. We already have it in Jesus, right? You already are enough. This is a great gift of Jesus' love, and consecration doesn't earn us anything. It's an invitation to discover a greater depth of love and intimacy with God. Remember, there's cleansing and sacrifice and dedication. Really, at the end of it, consecration is all about making room for love, for us to receive God's love, for us to give it. We make room for devotion, and maybe a restored zeal and passion for God, or maybe we make room for making him work for inherited promises or answering prayers that we've longed for, but that we also get to be used for his greater purposes, right? 
God's power and his love require intentionality for us to prepare to be vessels of character, integrity, and holiness as Christ exemplified for us. And I can't think of a better time than now in your stories individually and in the story of our church for us to offer this time as a preparation for God to use us and to work and to move. And maybe you're like me, you have all those aches and those seasons where I'm like, I just want God to move or I just wanna hear his voice or even maybe you haven't followed Jesus but you're like, I want that. I feel like the invitation, there's never a better time than to offer this season to God. So, as we close, I want to enter us into a time of reflection. I know I just threw a lot of things at you. Like I said, it was my process of like 10 years and 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So, um, but I want to ask a couple questions that really helped me guide through a season of life of like, could it be a, a time for me to consecrate myself to God? Remember, we're not earning God's love. He already loves us really dearly but maybe we're up for a challenge to say, I really wanna strengthen my relationship with God, my intimacy with God. And so I'd love to lead us through a reflection. So if you wouldn't mind, would you please stand with me? And get comfortable, and if you'd like, you can close your eyes to listen to my voice and reflect, or you can read or look, look somewhere. <laughs> And um, if you'd like, just open up your arms and hands in a posture of receiving, and we're going to say, come, Holy Spirit. And in this process, I'm going to invite the band up, and we'll have a chance to respond as well. But the questions that I'm going to ask are four questions. God is looking for people who are hungry and looking for those who desire to pursue holiness. And it's not something that we should be scared of. It's a great act of love, right? So the first question is, is there anything in your life that you need to consciously, with your own awareness, based on your life and identity in Jesus, that you need to cleanse out of your life? The second thing is, where might there be compromise? in our lives? Like, is there something or somewhere where we're blurring the lines? This isn't meant to bring shame. This is just awareness with God. The third question is, what continues to distract or hinder you from being a person that you want to be? And the fourth is, are there things in your life that are bringing about a spiritual death. We say, come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, in you we already have enough. We don't need to earn our way into your favor. But God, thank you for giving us your life. Thank you for giving us a life of love that you love us so deeply. Lord, we offer our lives to you. Would you prepare us and lead us and help us to respond to your love. Amen.